Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Happy birthday, Jamie. Thank you so much. Boom, slam, punch, <laughs> slap, insult, shot, <laughs> divorce. Oh, jeez. So many themes. Homophobia. Oh, so many themes. <laughs> Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I was really excited that this movie took place. I was like, I was like, where is Caitlin going to connect with this movie? There's got to be somewhere. And I was like, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. It's we the Pennsylvania it. connection. We did yep. it. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Welcome to the Bechtel cast. My name is Jamie Loftus. My name is Caitlin Durante. And this is our show where we analyze movies through an intersectional feminist lens using the Bechtel test simply as a jumping off point to initiate much larger, much grander conversations. It's true. And the Bechtel test, of course, is a media metric created by Alison Bechtel as a joke as a goof back in the 80s in her comic Mm. likes to watch out for it started as just a a one-off joke but has since become a way to um talk about how and if women are uh represented in movies and people of marginalized genders in general Mm a lot of versions of the test the version of the test that we observe to start our conversation is the test requires that there be two characters with names mm. of a marginalized gender talking about something other than men for two lines of dialogue mm-hmm. or more or more preferably, preferably more. more often but not. it doesn't happen but, that way usually but there's there's so much to talk about it's not the be all and end all of any movie mm-hmm. and today it's exciting. It comes but twice a year, a birthday episode Oof. where Caitlin and I really get to go absolutely hog wild <laughs> on uh, on our, our on our choice of movie, mm-hmm. on our choice of guest. Oh, yeah. It's a fun time. And this has been an episode that has been it's not an episode that's ever been requ- it's been requested <laughs> by one person. And it's no coincidence that that person is also, it's also our the guest. guest. Yeah. But I would say it's been 
Well, Dad, what do you, how long have you been asking me about this? It's been a couple of years. Well, how long have you had the show? <laughs> Just kidding. But... Seven years. No, it hasn't been seven years. I would say at least four years. Well, we've talked about this, I mean, in your other podcast life, when you did the Kathy podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, a, it was a thought that I had that, you know, there was this comic. It, it wasn't for everybody. Um, but the more I thought about it, it was kind of, it was unique for its time. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like there really weren't in the comic strips, you know, women were moms or girlfriends, uh, maybe teachers, but there was never like a single businesswoman. So I, I tossed that to you. And I guess in the case of Slapshot, you know, I sort of was thinking of a Kathy thing, too, because, you know, there are there are interesting to me, you know, representations of women and their stories. And that's um that's what your cast is all about, you and Caitlin. So I thought, well, you know, throw it out there and see what they think. And here we are. And and sure enough, we're doing it. We're covering <laughs> mm-hmm. Slapshot. And uh, the guest you just heard, I'll, Caitlin usually introduces the guests, but they have generously offered me the opportunity. It's your time to shine, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Our guest today is a, a former hockey writer, current hockey fan, has been covering hockey since the 80s, been playing hockey since the 70s when this movie comes out. Uh, he's also a proud father to to two wonderful children, <laughs> uh, lifelong Brockton residents, a Brockton legend. It's Mike Loftus. Welcome welcome to the cast, Dad. Welcome. Well, Jamie, good, good to see you, and good to see you too, Caitlin. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> For listeners, uh, I'm currently in Brockton at... At my dad's house, and he's he's downstairs with my equipment. I'm upstairs with my phone. We've we've have a very professional setup. It's mm. like we're not even. But he did drive me to Dunkin' Donuts right before the episode, so that I'll oh, be well. You know, I on. Mean, you gotta have your birthday dunks. Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. It's I, I I'm feeling the birthday love. I'm feeling thrilled about the birthday. So yeah, the my memory of I don't remember when you first brought this movie up to me. For the Bechtel cast, but you, every time you're like, I think it would just be like if I happened to be talking about work, you'd be like, you know, <laughs> slap shot is written by a woman. <laughs> <laughs> that was just kind of the pitch, mm-hmm. and uh, it stuck with me. And, and you pitched then, it to me, Jamie, multiple I times did. as well. And I yes, was like, and it was just like yeah. And I'm years down. later, here we are. <laughs> Which, the, to be fair, it's not a personal attack. That's how most of our episodes end up happening. We we think it over for a good two years, and then eventually <laughs> we cover it. <laughs> I feel like that has become kind of our habit. It's true. Anyways, yeah, we're covering Slapshot. It is a 1977 film. Mm. It's directed by George Roy Hill. It is written by Nancy Dowd. It stars Paul Newman. Amongst hubba, hubba. Caitlin is oh I Sorry. learned this <laughs> I learned this this morning that Caitlin's horny for Paul Newman. I mean he's very handsome. Oh my gosh. That's kind of the only thing I'm gonna be able to contribute to this episode. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my my thirst for Paul Newman, yeah. Unbelievable. Focused on men. You know, I, uh, my dad well, and I look. having discourse. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, Paul Newman, a wooga. I don't like his character, but I very much enjoy looking at his face. Well, I guess let's let's get into it. I guess, Dad, uh, well, well, actually, let's get ours out of the way. Caitlin, what's your history with the movie Slapshot? 
I only know about this movie because of the various times, <laughs> Jamie, you've said, my dad wants to come on the podcast and cover Slapshot. And okay. that is the reason I know this movie exists. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what's yours? I know this movie exists because my dad has told me about it. Uh, but I also <laughs> have, we've had Hanson brother glasses at the house for I remember where we have like I think they're on the table next to you dad but they're like the, the Hanson brother like taped glasses it's it is like that's the only part of this movie that I really knew about I had not watched it until the other day to prepare mm. for this episode mm -hmm. because you know I criminally have never been very into hockey <laughs> and so it was not a movie that really appealed to me but I knew the Hanson brothers because they are so ingratiated into hockey iconography that uh, we have like glasses that were given out at a game with the tape in the middle. And oh. the Hanson brothers specifically are very iconic mm. in hockey culture. I think this movie is too, but like more, I think the Hanson brothers are kind of the most enduring. Would, is that right? Would you say? Are you, yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, a, okay. you know, you brought us some other hockey movies last night. There aren't a lot of them. Yeah, you know there are a lot of baseball and football and basketball movies. Hockey's, I think, hockey fans of a certain age say mm -hmm. it's it's slap shot. And then the, uh, you know maybe another generation would be the Mighty Ducks, and mm -hmm. you know I think we would say more so the Mighty Ducks. And then uh -huh. current current generation, I don't know if they have a hockey movie. Ooh, I could yeah. tell you of a hockey movie, um, but. Um, is it Goon? It's Goon, yes. Oh, I, I have heard of this one. Sean William Scott is in it, if I'm not mistaken. I I don't know actors that well, but I, <laughs> I think it is. I, I actually I know the gentleman that that film was based on. Okay. Um, it's a true story about a guy who, and and the and the movie does not really tell the story of the actual person, but um, mm, classic movie. You know, that was okay. He knew he knew that was going to happen, and he was he was all right with it. You know. Okay. I hope they paid him well for the book rights. That might have happened. But yeah, it's, it's, Slapshot has not been a huge part of my life, but hockey certainly has. Grew up around hockey culture, mm -hmm. hockey ideas, hockey labor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have. I, I like I like hockey. Uh, I think as much as someone who doesn't follow it can. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, say, you're Mrs. Zamboni. I have a Zamboni <laughs> tattoo. And I didn't notice until the end of the first movie, the movie Slapshot, zero Zambonis. Zamboni mm. visibility at an all-time low. My favorite ice sports movie, as you know, is I, Tanya. Mm -hmm. I love I, Tanya. Not a single Zamboni in that one either. What the hell? I know, it's pretty and you know, fucked it's, up. It's, in it's interesting to me that, you know, when I sat down to watch it again the other night, like, and watch it in a different way, I didn't realize it was. It's a two-hour movie. Yes, it sure it is. It feels pretty long. So, it feels pretty long. so you know, there was plenty of time in there for, you know, Zamboni tomfoolery, um, mm -hmm. and yet, and dueling yet, Zambonis. Well, even just a you know, I mean, I don't know if we. I don't know if this is the part where we even bring in little things about the the film. Oh, wild! But you know, little things, little things that the you know the the team does to really, really continue to whip people in a frenzy right like you know parking an ambulance outside of a game mm -hmm. you know before it starts you couldn't have had somebody dress up crazy and just like you know drive the zamboni naked you know? person driving a zamboni well it's a perfect maybe, maybe yeah it's a perfect raunchy comedy idea okay never mind but you know an oversight <laughs> i agree jane good point
Yeah. Yeah. I felt strongly about that. I feel like Zambonis are rarely included to the point where I wonder if the company simply objects to it because it just seems like oh. such an easy win. Uh, but they're a very mm-hmm. kind of litigious Italian family, the Zamboni family. So I've heard when I've tried to contact them. Sure. Um, so I I like hockey. I had never seen Slapshot all the way through. And I watched it twice to prepare, once with my dad, once without. And mm-hmm. I have, uh, I mean, it's so weird because I feel like the reason that I didn't like this movie as much as I was hoping to it just has mostly to do with the fact that I historically don't love like super raunchy comedies like they just have never really appealed to me Mm -hmm. but the more that i learned about the production of this movie there's a lot of stuff to talk about certainly a lot of it doesn't age well we were getting dinner with my aunts (laughs) last night and my Mm -hmm. auntie kate my dad's sister we've all been you know hockey pilled over the years and she's (laughs) like oh yeah i've seen slapshot kind of hard to watch now because it's long and a lot of it ages really badly and i was like all mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. we're all on the same page here <laughs> but it is interesting we don't cover a lot of movies from the 70s and uh True. i think for a movie that a lot of it ages not well uh there were more women in the story than i was expecting and i think same. more women than your average sports movie in general i would agree so lots to talk about yeah dad what's your history with the movie Slapshot. Do you remember when you first saw it? Well, that it actually came out the year I graduated high school. Nice. Um, hmm. 1977, which is when I was wrapping up my um, <laughs> my super average career as a player. Okay, give us the rundown. Um, what what position did you play generally? Um, I was a defense a defenseman. Mm-hmm. One goal, career statistics: one goal, one assist, multiple penalty minutes, um, <laughs> knee injuries. Yeah. Yes, one knee surgery, one broken nose. Um, went from there to I coached youth hockey with a buddy of mine for a couple of years. That was fun. Nice. When I was in college, uh, I started officiating games as a way to make a few bucks, uh, and then that all dried up, and I went into the, the you know there was no future in any of that for me, but I still just kind of couldn't quit the game mm-hmm. and. Love newspapers, love the sports section, sports guy. So in the in the there I am in like the you know kind of the teeth of the late seventies or when there's a lot of people going into journalism because of like all the president's men and you know everybody wants to be a journalist. Interesting. Movies are so influential. Is well, that did it really feel like there was an uptick after all the president's men? That makes sense to me. I just oh, wouldn't yeah, have definitely. connected that. Because a person like me who would show up and say, yeah, I want to be a sports writer was like, what? That doesn't count. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you? Be serious. You know? Yeah. So that, that's how, that's kind of where it comes from. And the, and the interesting little side story is the, the reason that I even played in the first place was that when she was young, before she got married, my mom was a huge hockey fan. She loved mm. the Bruins. I think she really liked the fights a lot. <laughs> but, um, you know, she got married. She had three kids in four years. And the, at, at around that time, the Bruins in Boston, who had been terrible for a while, all of a sudden they got very good. They had a great team and a lot of personality, a lot of fun. And she couldn't contain herself. She just, she signed me up even though I told her I didn't want to play. So, mm. <laughs> and, you know, by the end of my first season playing, it was kind of all I wanted to do. Nice. So there's my, does that, uh, now, Your pressure works. I don't think my mom watched Slapshot with me. Um <laughs> But, but, you know, myself, obviously, and my, my hockey friends, I mean, you know, certain aspects of 
that movie just from having played on a team and everything like that just kind of you know cracked us up and sure. um, and then uh just just for listener context how long did you work in uh in sports journalism covering hockey um specifically covering hockey i would say i started like in 1989 mm. halfway through that season i became like the full-time you know bruins beat writer at my paper and i held that job through the 2019-20 season, the the last the, the bubble season, the pandemic season, mm, nice. so it was a good. It was like thirty something years, and I and also, you know, as my newspaper changed, the industry changed, and I had to, you know, I always had the Bruins, but I found lots and lots of of other hockey stories to do. You know, here in New England and the Boston area, there's so lots of college stories, lots of stories about minor league players. Um, mm-hmm. You know, draft picks. We had, you know, coaches. Um, and um, one of the more interesting things was over my time was the growth of like the women's hockey game, which I'm not even sure it really existed when I started. You know, mm. um, I just realized I know nothing about it. Nor, nor did I even realize there was a women's hockey league. It's cool. I mean, Dad, Dad, you know, obviously, you know, a million times more about it than me. But when I when I went to Toronto a couple months ago to do a show with your rock about I went to the Hockey Hall of Fame and it's like this big cool sprawling museum that has exhibits on women's hockey and on non-white hockey leagues and just like all all of this um cool I don't know mm-hmm. you know it is definitely a predominantly uh white male sport as are mm-hmm. most North American sports but women's women's hockey leagues are really really interesting and I feel like there is I'm kind of surprised that there isn't a movie about Maybe, I mean, listeners, feel free to let us know if there is one and we just don't know about it. But I don't think I've ever seen a uh, like movie or show explicitly about women's hockey, which feels weird. I feel like there's yeah. movies about at least one movie about women's sports in most major sports. Yeah, I mean, it's, but it was I mean, it's, it's it's around here and I guess, you know, in other places where hockey's a, a thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the youth and high school and, and college level you know, women's hockey is, is a thing, you know, almost every, almost everybody has a team now in college. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing to me was it, it has struggled to really get off the ground and and stay established. But I will say for like the last five or six years has been a a women's professional hockey league, you know, where women, you know, it's professional, they got paid to play. Mm -hmm. Um, As the 2019, 2020 season was winding down, before everything shut down because of COVID. I always, I, I think about how interesting it is that the last athlete that I interviewed face-to-face, one-on-one, was mm-hmm. a women's professional hockey player. Cool. Which I thought was, you know, I didn't know it was going to be the last one. I mm-hmm. thought I would be going to work the next day, but. Right, or you would have talked to a man. <laughs> no, I was mm-hmm. there specifically to do this. Okay. It's, so. All right. You're killing it. Everything's going great. No, no that's, that's really, I, I am obviously a fan of my dad, but um, <laughs> I think it's, I think, I do think it's cool that you've covered so many local stories that no one, that, that are not ordinarily covered, especially with, I mean, like, I mean, Caitlin, what you just said is kind of proof of that. It's just like women's, like women's hockey is absolutely a thing, but it's not covered in any sort of broad 
way. Right. Like I've never seen a women's hockey game on TV. Not that I'm like actively seeking out sports yeah. games. You you would more likely find it during like the Olympics. It's a it's a, right. it's oh, a yeah. significant okay. thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and and an issue is that the United States is great at it. Canada is great at it, but there's, you know, they need more international competition. It's, mm. it is, you know, it's not like there's generations of Swedish, Norwegian, you know, right. European players. I was going to say like Sweden, what are you doing? Hello. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but I mean, it'll come. Yeah. It will come. It will. When I write my awesome women's hockey movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's take a quick break and then we will come back for the recap. First period's over, you could say. (laughs) Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. And we're back. And now it's the second second period. period. How many? Are there three three. periods? Okay. There's three. So this kind of works perfect. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the thing that I thought was halftime, it's probably not actually halftime. There's like two breaks in the middle. Yeah. There's not really any like manner of halftime show for hockey. There's like, uh, well, to gas my... The Zambonis. The Zambonis Mm -hmm. are kind of how you know. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, they come out (laughs) twice and they 
resurface the ice because that's their kind of one purpose. And <laughs> and sometimes, uh, you know, kids and also local celebs will come out on the Zamboni and sometimes <laughs> it's me at the Staples Center really? in January 2020. It was me one time. I think we should I think we should definitely post a picture of it to our Instagram actually. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think it's pretty important that we do. <laughs> but there's well there's also I feel like there's because there there's no cheerleading mm. element to hockey because it's on ice, but they they have like what do they call like it's a, a group of it's it's now a gender inclusive group, but it's like a they kind of assist the Zambonis. It's not really yeah, they, as festive as cheerleading or dancing. It's really mm -hmm. just like excited sweeping. Yeah. And and there are there are some teams that will employ people to, you know, stand in the stairways and everything and cheer. Okay. You I know. want that job. It seems like a fun job. I wonder if they're I feel like traditionally those jobs are really low paid. I wonder what the deal is in hockey. But I was like, you know, I would sweep. I would sweep in shorts. Why not? Mm, yeah. Let's do it. Anyways, let's. What happens in the movie <laughs> Slapshot, Caitlin? Let us know. I would be delighted to tell you. Okay. We meet a minor league, right? There you go. Minor league hockey team called the Chiefs from the fictional town of Charlestown, Pennsylvania. Not to be confused with Charlestown, Massachusetts which is where the movie The Town famously takes place. Oh, that is kind of the famous town. Wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, so the most seasoned player and also the coach. I did not know that the coach of a hockey team was also a player. Fascinating to me. Can that happen um, in minor leagues? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, there's been player oh, coaches. Wow. The lower you go, you never know what you're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> so the coach slash a player is uh, Reggie Dunlop, played by Paul Newman, hubba hubba. And then we meet some other players like Ned Braden. There's a goalie named Denis, who is French, and everyone makes fun of him for uh, English not being his first language. I really like his opening monologue that ends like with him just poetically describing the penalty box. And then he's <laughs> like, and then you get free. Yeah. I was like, whoa, that's wow. so, you feel shame and then you get free. And you're like, whoa. <laughs> Denny. We also meet Joe McGrath, who is the team's manager. Because he's not the coach. So he's the manager. Is that right, Mike? Yeah, general general manager is what you'd call okay. it. Yeah. Uh -huh. Got it. He has the team do fashion shows to promote the games because people aren't coming out as much to the games anymore because the Chiefs kind of suck and they've been losing a lot. Also, a local mill is going to be closing soon in the town and it's going to potentially mean that Charlestown will sort of dry up and then the team might have to fold. So that's looming over everybody. Mm -hmm. We also meet the Hanson brothers. They have just been signed over to the Chiefs. They're characterized as being a bunch of dipshits <laughs> who bring their toys with them, even though they're adults. They're Yeah, they're young adults. I don't know. I was like, it didn't shock me that... Uh, like what is they're like 18 20 and 21 something like that and then you're just like yeah i guess they would bring 
their race cars. I don't know. I was about to say, they're not hurting anybody, but that's actually kind of their whole thing. But they do kind of, they are super violent on the ice. And then they would later go on to form a boy band and sing Mbop. I know. It's so confusing. (laughs) Like, I... God, that is that's a good generation gap. It's mm-hmm. like who are the Hanson brothers to you? Right. Because I'm I'm going umbop every time. I didn't right. know that boomers <laughs> had their own Hanson brothers. It's true. Okay. So we also meet a few of the players' wives. They're his wives. Such as Brayden's wife, Lily. Mm-hmm. She hates this town. She seems to just kind of generally hate her life and possibly her husband. Uh, we also meet Francine, who is Reggie's ex-wife, uh, who he is trying to win back to no avail. My hero. My favorite character, Francine. Francine rocks. Mm-hmm. So the team they wonder who owns the team because they don't know. And Reggie is like, I don't know, it's just a corporation. And then their general manager, that guy Joe, reveals that this is the Chiefs' last season. And the players are worried that they won't be signed to another team. Some of them feel like they're getting too old to like be a valuable asset to another team. Uh, Reggie thinks that they might get sold and get transferred to a new city. He's thinking somewhere in Florida. Reggie is such a mess. I. <laughs> it is no secret to anyone on this call that I don't care for the character of Reggie. <laughs> Not a fan of his. I think it's so... Like We'll talk about him more, obviously, later in the episode. But I really, like... Especially the second time when I was watching it, it was... Because he's such a piece of shit to mm-hmm. everyone. And it's it's really interesting to me that like his only redeeming moments happen privately. Like he's never publicly nice yeah. to anybody. Privately, he, he will say nice things about people behind their back, never to their face. <laughs> and it just like it made me, I don't know, it was, in, it was an interesting character. I mean, it's tricky because it's like I don't think the movie is fully, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think he's like a he's a piece of shit and also kind of tragic to me in a way because he just seems like someone who needs a friend so badly mm-hmm. but like can't stop getting in his own way enough to ever like have a friend like there's so many characters in this movie that he almost forges a friendship with but then turns on them or is a piece of shit to them or like feels mm-hmm. insecure for a second and says something cruel to them and you're just like this person is so like it's it's He's a mess. He's an asshole, but it's also like it's sad. Like it's like this guy just needs to get out of his own way and make a make a friend, but but mm-hmm. he but he can't do it. And it's um it's very frustrating to watch him sabotage himself over and over. Truly. Yeah. So he's insecure about the future of the team and he goes yeah. to this sports writer dickie dunn <laughs> aka basically mike loftus yeah dad did you feel represented by dickie dunn <laughs> i do like that he's often well just trying to catch the spirit of the thing you know um, <laughs> he says this a lot yes yes um yeah i mean you know whatever uh, reggie dunlop plays him you know obviously mm-hmm. you know kind of plants this story about oh i hear we're getting sold when you know that never was going to happen right um, so dickie's Dickie's failure to like maybe follow up on that. Um, 
He's not, not doing very good journalism. Yes. Because yes. he's doing no research. <laughs> but, you know, I've, he's probably selling some papers and, um, mm. you know, he just, I mean, it's, it's funny how he just sort of fell right into, <laughs> right, right into uh, Reg's, uh, Reg's trap there. Well, he is charming. He is like charismatic, so people are like, yeah, like wow. he is hot, so you should probably believe him. He's so him, hot, so. so everyone listens to and him. That, and that's a great line too where there, you know, Paul, you know, Reg is reading the story. Hey, Dickie Dunn wrote it. You know it's true. Right. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh it's it's stereotypes uh sports writers as as bad parents. <laughs> his daughter run out and her brother was bullying her, and he's like, "All right, resolve it among yourselves." Mm-hmm. I'm talking to Paul Newman. I'm doing business right now. I'm Mister Business. It's bad representation. <laughs> I think there might have been a drink or two there too. Oh Probably. yeah, yeah. He mm-hmm. said, "He said, go away, kids," and then he starts drinking again. There's a lot of drinking in this movie. So uh-huh. much drinking. Yeah. There. Yeah, Dad, you'll have to uh, explain the '70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so Dickie Dunn is like, that's ridiculous. No one's going to buy a fifth place team. And Reggie is like, well, that's about to change. Meanwhile, Reggie is having an affair with an opponent's wife, his wife, Suzanne. And she tells Reggie that she's been sleeping with other women recently, which Reggie uses when he plays his opponent the following week, this guy named Hanrahan. Hanrahan, yeah. yep. <laughs> that yeah. will... We'll talk about that. That'll be a whole thing, because that's... Uh, this, it's like that's something that this movie is so constantly infuriating, mostly because of Reg, Yeah, where you're like, oh, wow, I, I would guess that that wouldn't be something that would be like commonly discussed in a popular movie in the 70s. And then the, mm-hmm. in the next scene, you're like, well... What was the point? No. Like, if you're just going to do that, what was the point? Anyways. Exactly. Yeah. So Hanrahan is the goalie for the other team. And Reggie is taunting him and saying, you know, your wife is a lesbian, but he's using a lot of slurs. And it makes Hanrahan so mad and distracted that he gets scored on a bunch and the Chiefs win. Also partly because they get very violent and start beating the shit out of the other team. Which is sort of like becoming their new MO. calling card. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, meanwhile, we have a scene with Lily. She's still having a really hard time. It seems like Brayden is cheating on her. And then Reggie tries to comfort her, but in a very sleazy way where he's like, come over, I'll give you a foot rub. He's so frustrating. I'm just like, <laughs> she, she, uh, that's whatever. I mean, I, I guess the choice is consistent with Reggie's character, but I'm just like, ah, these two characters, they both need a friend. Why can't they be mm-hmm. friends to each other? But it's because Reggie can't. Because he's a creep. Yeah, because he can't not be a creep. But he's not even the most creepy guy on the team, because that's a guy Ugh. named Morris. That's oh, he's a he's a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so um, so the team sees this story in the paper that Dickie Dunn had printed about how the Chiefs are going to get bought and transferred to Florida, which they're very excited about, and so with the team morale higher than ever the Chiefs start winning a bunch. Although, again, they're playing way rougher than normal. There's lots of punching and bloody faces and stuff. Although, 
Brayden is opposed to playing dirty. He thinks it's cheap and not the right way to win. Which but... feels sort of like built into, he's like, I went to college. I'm not, <laughs> none of this nonsense. I went to college. Yeah. I'm still a piece of shit who's cheating on my wife, but I have morals. But I went to college. <laughs> <laughs> um. But Reggie is very pro all of this hockey violence, and he starts putting the Hanson brothers in the game, whose entire strategy is just to punch the shit out of their opponents. I kind of love the Hanson. It's like it's kind of hard not to love the Hanson brothers. They're so goofy. They're, They're extremely so goofy. Wait, my 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 dad's got some some a real a real sleigh of a of a context corner for for them. But okay. I love I love the Hanson brothers. They're fun. <laughs> um, I yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, the team continues to speculate who the owner is. Meanwhile, this thing is happening where um, Reggie just like keeps lying about the team getting bought and sold to keep the morale up, and also maybe he's just like deluding himself because he knows that he's about to reach a point where he's probably going to have to retire and he's so insecure and he can't deal with it it's so i read this incredible essay about how Mm. reggie is a metaphor for the men of pittsburgh in the 70s wow and i'm just like i'm excited to, to talk about it later okay um okay so then Reggie sees Francine with another guy and he's kind of like following her around and calling different places that he knows that she frequents to try to like see who she's been there with very stalker behavior yeah he's doing I mean he does the same thing to Lily he like jumps in her car at one point like he's just he has no no issue really inserting uh, being around (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah And he bumps into her at some point and Francine tells Reggie that she's moving to Long Island, which I'm like, yes, please get away from him. (laughs) Then there's an upcoming game against Syracuse. So Reggie goes on the radio for an interview and he says that he's putting a bounty (laughs) on, I don't know if it's that team's coach or just kind of like one of their star players, this guy, Mm -hmm. Tim McCracken. And he's like, I'm paying $100 of my own money for someone to kill him. It's such a low bounty. It's it's kind of fun. (laughs) Right. Um, And then there's this player who has given himself the nickname Killer. And he's like, I'll do it. I'll kill Tim McCracken. Uh, Anyway, Lily shows up at Reggie's place with her huge St. Bernard dog. She seems to have left Brayden and she has a new lease on life. He doesn't know it yet. He doesn't know it yet. Uh, Let's see. Then Reggie takes Lily to Francine's hair salon and she gets a bit of a makeover. I have some I have complicated thoughts about that scene because I feel like that scene's heart is in the right place mm-hmm. uh, but it's kind of broadly done but i'm excited to talk about it yeah 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 then reggie finally figures out who the owner of the chiefs is and he goes to see him just kidding it's a woman what named who An- is? <laughs> anita mccambridge and he wants to know how the sale of the team is going 
but she tells him that she plans to fold the team and take a tax loss rather than sell it because she won't make enough of a profit if she sells the team. It's like Which, every single decision, like every streamer is making right now. They're like, no, actually we're deleting your entire life and career because it suits me today. Yeah. Fuck you. Yikes. And so this news infuriates Reggie and he brutally insults her son and then storms out classic reggie's like well i'm feeling a little insecure and angry let me insult someone who's not here in the cruelest way i can possibly think of truly it's kind of his whole thing then reggie comes clean to his team he admits that there's no deal for them to be bought and moved to florida that Ned was right all along. They shouldn't be resorting to all of this violence as a way to win games. And this is Reggie's last game, and he's going to play it straight and try to win that championship honestly and legitimately. But this is when they're playing Syracuse, and that team is ready for a bloodbath. So the game starts, and the Syracuse team are fighting, but the Chiefs aren't fighting back, and they're losing. And then it's not halftime. It's either after the first or second period. Um, But they're like in the locker room and their general manager, Joe, is like, hey, there's a bunch of NHL scouts in the crowd. So you have to put on a good show for them. And Reggie's like, okay, forget everything I said. We're going to play dirty. And then we just like cut to everyone punching each other. Um, (laughs) Francine and Lily show up to the game and Brayden sees his wife and he's like, wow. This part is where this, this is where like the whole Lily story falls apart for me where I'm like, what happened here so confused about what happens with lily's character yeah not i don't know sure and i also don't know exactly what prompts this but brayden goes out on the ice while everyone (laughs) while everyone's just punching each other and not playing hockey even a little bit and brayden starts doing a strip tease and everyone in the crowd and all the players are like wow and for some reason, this solves all of the problems in his marriage. You're just like, it's very cinematic, but you're just like, it doesn't make sense, but it's very movie <laughs> right. behavior. Yeah. And he does the strip tease and it somehow wins the game. I don't know if the other team oh, forfeits. Yeah. I, I don't know what happens here. I could, I could tell you. I please, do, yeah. please. Yeah. So as, as Ned is doing his strip tease, one of the play, one of the it might be Tim McCracken mm. is furious, and he's like, you know, during the middle of this bloodbath, he starts to yell at the official, like that's disgusting. Make him stop, and mm. the official's like, what do you mean it's disgusting? Look at this, and they end up with an argument, and McCracken or the you know the opponent yeah. hits the official. He which oh. is no matter how low the miners or whatever, you know, you can't hit an official, and mm. he. He hit him, and the official says, "That's it. The game's over. You forfeit." You know. Got it. Okay. Okay. Nice. <laughs> okay. It reminds me of an Airbud when they're like, "There's nothing in the rule book that says a dog can't play basketball." <laughs> it's like there's nothing in the rule book that says a player can't come out and strip to win the game. Right. You could maybe get a penalty for it. Play, or could play you? Was- 
play was stopped at the time. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't... Right. it's true. <laughs> so he's basically just doing it. it's like that. That could have been the the ice sweepers. It could have been could have been anything, and it, mm-hmm. and he happened to do that. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> I have so the way that this movie. It's so bizarre. We were talking about it when we were watching it a couple nights ago. Where it's like this movie in the last half of it, like I'd be on board and then it would lose me for 10 mm-hmm. minutes and I'd be back for a couple minutes and mm-hmm. then it would lose me for 10 minutes. And then I kind of liked the ending and it was like, I didn't see, I, I, I don't like, well, whatever. We're at the <laughs> end basically. Yeah. But like it, it lost me during this whole game because you're like, why does Ned stripping on ice solve the issue of infidelity and them hating it each other? And then it seems like, well, whatever. Like I'm, I didn't dislike the scene between Lily and Francine, even though it was like, whatever, channeled into the idea into a makeover. I think you can make the argument that it was like she's getting a makeover to feel better about herself. It didn't True. seem like it was overtly for her husband or for anyone except for herself because she had already left him by that point yeah it seemed like she was she was doing it to feel more confident about herself and i don't Mm -hmm. have an issue with that but it just seems like it's like implied that something happens between lily and francine off screen that leads because i'm like i don't even know why they show up at that hockey game it's confusing to me because it seems like lily or, or francine's like getting lily gassed up to like get out into the world and start her life like whether that's dating or, or moving or whatever it is it's mm-hmm. kind of unclear but then it's like the next time we see them they're at the hockey game you're like when did you guys decide to go to the hockey game why yeah. it seems like the opposite of what lily was trying to do right they Anyways. should have gone out to dinner <laughs> they should have gone out to a, a, a singles bar right the aces and then they could have started a book club together you know <laughs> i don't know anyway so we cut to a parade the team, I think, has disbanded, but the players seems like they're getting contracts to go play on other teams. Reggie is going to go play in Minneapolis. He tries to get Francine to come with him, but she's like, um, pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Lily and Brayden do get back together in an infuriating moment. I know. It's and so, then everyone... I've never been so split on different characters' endings where it's like I'm, I'm thrilled for Francine and I'm completely confused by Lily. Yeah. But anyway. But everyone's celebrating at the parade and that's how the movie ends. So let's take another break. <laughs> Second, Second period is over. over. Bzz, is, there a big, is there a big buzzer in hockey to like signify the end of a period more i think it's a siren you know oh okay so a (laughs) wooga we'll be right back focus features presents back to black i want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles experience the music and her story know this i ain't no spice girl like never before that's my daughter that's my amy Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. We're back and it's time and we're back. for the third period. And the third period can go on for a while. Mhm. <laughs> There's no time limit. If things are tight, you know, sometimes sometimes it just it keeps going. Sometimes we go into overtime. Overtime, yes. On the um, Bechtel cast. Yes. Ooh, oh, that's exciting. Okay. I wonder that's that's when we do the our scoring. That's Oh uh, yeah, that's like the penalty shootout mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Mm. So, Dad, I before we get into the full analysis, I'm curious. Do you feel that the sport of hockey is is like? Does this feel authentic to? Because you, I mean, like we're reporting like on the road with teams mm-hmm. and reporting from locker rooms for for decades. Does this movie feel? close for the era does it feel overblown and movie-fied like how does it square with your experience in this uh arena you know hey um you know it's it's a good question i mean i think you know when i watched that movie everything in it from the hockey standpoint is just an exaggeration you know mm-hmm. it's like you know yes there is locker room talk but to the, some of the extent that these guys you know, no, I don't. Th- I mean, I never heard the the violence in games. You know, yes, it's a very very physical game, and <laughs> I would say back in that era, that was more of a factor. That was more of a strategy mm. than it is now. Mm-hmm. And and also too, the NHL. It's like any any major sport. If people who follow them, there's like the top level, and then there are different tiers. Mm-hmm. In hockey, the lower that you go, you know, you're probably not going to make it. You know, you might, you know, move up another level or two. So the crazier things, I guess, you know, would tend to happen, 
you know, in the lower minors, smaller towns, you know, smaller franchises, things like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, and that's, you know, that's kind of where the movie came from. Now, Nancy Dowd's brother, Ned. Nancy Dowd is the, the writer of the movie. Yes, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So her brother played college hockey in Maine, and then he played two years of low minor professional hockey league. And he would, he, you know, he would tell his sister stories about the, you know, the things that happened and thus the movie, you know, (laughs) so a lot of it, there's a lot of things that are based on things that actually did happen. And I think that, you know, for, for film purposes and everything, you know, it's, it's amplified and exaggerated. Mm -hmm. That's something, I mean, I guess that's like a place that I I would be down to start is just talking a little bit about the behind the scenes process of this movie, because I didn't. I know that, I mean, the one fact I knew about this movie, other than it's where the Hanson Brothers glasses comes from, is <laughs> what my dad told me 5,000 times, which is that a woman wrote the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the fact that I knew, but I didn't know. I, I actually really liked, I don't know, it's like, it. I was like, oh, I kind of do stuff like that sometimes. Where uh, Nancy Dowd, uh, yeah, like she heard that her brother was involved in this. What was the name of the team that uh, the Chiefs are based on? They're ba- the Johnstown Jets. Okay. In Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so that was a team her brother was on. Uh, he called basically with the premise to slap shot that this, you know, team was not going to be around for much longer. And so she followed them around for a month and she like shadowed them and did basically like gonzo style following this minor league team around. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what she saw went directly into the movie and the script, which I think you can argue works for and against it because it's like, if she's presenting this the late 70s that authentically a lot of it doesn't age well because it was you know almost 50 years ago yeah but it does seem like that was sort of her goal in writing it and what she was trying to present and so i went back to the way that this movie was originally covered because it was like a hit it was a box office success people liked it Mm. paul newman was in it and it was also like I thought it was interesting that it was drawn attention to when the movie came out that these were like, quote, I'm just trying to think if there's like a contemporary example of this where they were like, quote, unquote, like respectable filmmakers making this raunchy comedy Mm. um, because the director of this movie, George Roy Hill, like he directed Butch Cassidy. He'd done all of Mm -hmm. these like you know, really prestige. sensitive, thoughtful, prestige movies. Yeah. And then later in his career makes this super, super raunchy comedy. And then you have Nancy Dowd, who is from Framingham, Massachusetts, representing Massachusetts, wow. but grew up, you know, like a pretty like upper crusty Massachusetts life. She went to Smith College. Like she mm-hmm. was like a no one and this was like her first success she went on after this two years after this she won an oscar for a movie called coming home about did you see that dad i did did you like it um it was it was a little challenging to believe it's very serious it was like a it was kind of like a vietnam war movie mm-hmm. you know? and it's you know john Voight. so <laughs> Uh, well (laughs) that works against it (laughs) yeah it's no national treasure but no i mean it's like speaking of not aging well but (laughs) yeah because john boyd is truly evil um yeah but but it felt like these prestige stars serious writers and and directors making this really raunchy goofy comedy but Mm -hmm. it was also like my dad the news talked a lot about how like a woman wrote the movie 
in a different mm. context that I'm not criticizing this, <laughs> uh, but I just like most of the coverage uh, of Nancy Dowd at this time was like, it's the raunchiest comedy of the year. And a wo- 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 woman wrote it. And like, <laughs> which I think that we still see stuff like that. And it's still like the majority of raunchy comedies that come out are not written by, I don't think that there's really parody. In, I mean, there's not parody in film in general, but I think right. especially in this genre, it still feels super male driven. I feel like Joyride Definitely. is the only exception I can think of this year. <laughs> Right. But I, I, I read some of the coverage because I was like, well, how did Nancy Dowd kind of field this? And I thought she was cool. I thought she was really funny and really cool. Mm. She says this in a New York Times article from 1977. Wow. This is how it's set up. <laughs> set up obscenity, hockey, a woman. Miss Dowd has been <laughs> meeting so many people lately who can't believe that she actually wrote this screenplay that she is beginning to lose her patience. And she says, Mm. quote, the world has a weird view of women. People seem to believe that we have to write about divorce or suicide or children, so-called women's topics. But we've been around. Women aren't sequestered anymore. And kind of just goes on to um, talk about how uh, it reminds me of like how you still see a lot of women writers being like, well, I wish this wasn't the story. <laughs> right. Shut up. Like, watch the movie and like it or don't. Yeah. But this movie was, even in its time, considered to be pretty sexist. Mm. I think Paul Newman called it honestly sexist, which I think is an interesting way to come about it. And I think mm. I think what he's trying to say, I don't know, let, let me know if either of you feel differently, is that it feels like it's more speaking to like how Nancy Dowd was not transcribing dialogue, but like just sort of saying authentically how guys she was hanging out with were talking and not sanitizing what they were saying. So it's like she was hanging out with sexist guys. The movie is honestly sexist because she's not like, you know, sugar making them more appealing. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I would say, too, that, you know, when it came out, you know, and I was whatever, 18 years old. I don't recall knowing that a woman wrote it at the time. I mean, we just, mm. you know. They should have been reading the New York Times. Well, <laughs> They couldn't you know, shut up about it. I was reading the Brockton Enterprise. That's true. And hoping to one day work for the Patriot Ledger. Um, mm. But we were just excited because there was a movie about hockey, you know, mm. and it was our thing. Mm-hmm. Really didn't take it that much farther. You know, I was surprised when I like looked a little bit more into it later on, you know, just finding out like little little things about people who were in the movie, you know, that that got me to look, you know, behind this, not behind the scenes, but behind the story. And it was like, you know, the only thing was like, oh, a woman wrote it. I, I guess, you know, my not reaction to that, but like it, the way I I might come off that way is like, like if her brother wrote the movie It'd be like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, like all that dialogue, this and that. Mm-hmm. And, and it just it just, you know, it just wouldn't have seemed, you know, it's so raunchy. Like, I'm not saying like anybody can't be raunchy, but it's like, you know, that one character, you know, Caitlin, you brought up Morris is like, it's gross. You know, it's like it's yeah. hideous. Like his, yeah. um, you know, I was saying to Jamie, it was not like I never heard some of those terms before, mm-hmm. but like so so rare you know and you know i mean i don't know i guess on a in an office you know on a team there's always that one person that you know takes it a little bit 
farther or just like is is extreme yeah and and as i was as i was watching it the other night it was like i didn't catch you know in my earlier viewings of it that a lot of his teammates are kind of grossed out by him too which is like <laughs> well you know thank god for that mm. you know yeah i mean i think it's uh, well, well we'll get into this too i, I like i i don't know I, it's i think that it seems like her goal in writing the movie was like writing obviously like a movie that people would like that was funny but was also like authentic to what she'd experienced which i don't really have a problem with i think it's more like especially because this movie has been out for almost you know 50 years now like it's interesting watching like what parts of this movie are its legacy because i feel like the parts that i thought were interesting about the movie are not parts of the movie that are famous and also it's like the Mm -hmm. writer has no control over what becomes known about their work or not but it just i don't know i just think it's there was more to this movie than I thought, but like the the nuancey parts of it aren't what it's known for. That plus like, yeah, she was observing the team and who knows like if she was like transcribing <laughs> like stuff that they said and putting it into the script or if she was embellishing some of it. But it seems like for the most part, she's like, well, the, the way that uh, Dickie Dunn just tries to capture the spirit of the thing, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah, because she's trying to do that, yeah. <laughs> Nancy Dowd was just trying to yeah. capture the spirit of the thing. And it seems like the spirit was a lot of like pretty loserish guys who are either creepy or stalkery or they don't treat women well, etc. That's just the vibe. Those were the vibes she was getting. So that's what she put on the page. My concern is that a lot of it is presented uncritically and or just framed like Morris saying all of his gross comments about women's bodies and stuff like that is usually just framed as a joke. Like, haha, look at the, look at the team creep. Isn't he funny? Aren't we laughing at him? Yeah. So, but again, it's like, you know, it's the seventies, a lot of (laughs) horrible things were not presented critically. It was just, this is what's normal and and it's normal. Mm-hmm. So that's fine. Yeah, I, I I don't know. It's it's movies of this era are always uh I feel like tricky in in that way. Yeah. The I sorry, I have one more quote from her from this New York Times piece. Mm. The piece goes on, she's generally frustrated that the movie was considered to have strong sexist overtones. This was something that was talked about in original reviews of the movie. Mm-hmm. But uh she was Annoyed with that, uh, she said, quote, the only thing I thought twice about writing was making the team's rich, uncaring owner a woman. I worried about people saying I had made a sexist statement, but I've seen that woman's attitude so many times, quote, I never let my children see a hockey game, unquote. Mm. So it seems, I mean, whatever, she felt she felt differently. And I don't know. It's like, I, I feel, I, I, I respect what she's trying to do. And I also agree with what you're saying, Caitlin, is like, it just depends on like how your movie is received and how like I think if you're looking for nuance in this movie, you can find it. Mm. But because of the genre, you might not necessarily be looking for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, and I think too, like the you know the the fact that the owner is a woman. You know, as I was you know pitching this idea to to Jamie, <laughs> it's like I don't think this will pass. I think this is like the worst possible. But she's a she's you know use the description rich uncaring it's also it's it's a she's a ruthless bottom line business person mm-hmm. right and like any guy would have done that you know 
Yeah, I mean, in, I in thought... the same, you know, but it, so I don't, I don't know that you saw a lot of that back then. Where the, I don't know, is it called girl boss? I don't want to step in anything here, you <laughs> know. But... Well, yeah, you've seen my, you've seen my show. I mean, I think it kind of, I think that it does fall into that thing. I don't know. I think it's interesting that that was what was on her mind in '77 because I, that was one of the characters that I didn't think really, I didn't have an issue with i had an issue with how reg treated her versus like how she was portrayed because it was like at that point for me i don't know how you felt at this point in the movie caitlin but it was like you had seen different kinds of women throughout this movie Mm -hmm. that it's like i feel like sometimes if there's only one woman in the movie and she is like a ruthless cruel person then it's like well i have no idea how this writer feels about women Mm. this seems like how they're presenting all women Mm -hmm. but because it's like this one character who comes up late in the movie i feel like she represents more of a class thing than any sort of commentary on gender and i was i was fine with that like it's same you know she and reg in this scene both suck in in very very different ways and yeah that that worked for me I i thought it was interesting that that was the thing that stuck with her because i think the thing that stuck with me really was I agree. Like there, there's not any pushback on how men talk about women in this movie. I agree mm-hmm. with you, Dad. That like there, there, there were some that you know you would, but you would have to kind of be looking for it, of like someone being like, ugh, because they do. Like the the the. I think that the character that is most clearly written in a way that the movie is conscious of being sexist is. I don't know. Do you know what the name of that character is? Like the one that is who only says sexist stuff. Um, Morris. Morris, yeah. Yeah, Morris's whole thing is that he views women as objects and mm-hmm. it's like that's the joke with this character. Yeah. And you know, and to go back to go back to the point that it's a two-hour movie, <laughs> if you cut Morris out, right? It becomes a... It could have been a... Sh- an easier movie to digest, for sure. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, it doesn't really add anything, I don't think. Mm-mm. You know, it's just, it's like a... Um, you know, again, the scene with um, the owner and Paul Newman, you know, as I think about it now, that's like Reg Dunlop, you know, the, the shoe's on the other foot now because, you know, not because she's a woman, but she's the owner and she's telling him, yeah. like, yeah, I could help you and your and your, your players, but, you know. But there's nothing in there's it not, for me. There's no money in it for me. And, and when he says, you know, we're human beings, you know, mm-hmm. that's maybe about as, you know, for all the other scenes where like he's sort of vulnerable and he wants, you know, Francine back, you know, that was a, it's a small scene, but that's probably, you know, his most, his most human vulnerable moment, maybe, you know. And it could have been a, a much more effective just <laughs> scene in general or commentary or whatever it's trying to do as far as like, yeah, rich people conduct and them not caring about human lives and only caring about yeah. the bottom line. Mm-hmm. But then the scene ends with him going on a homophobic right. tirade about her young yeah. son. And then it's just like, well, that undercuts everything that could have been interesting yes. about that scene. Right. Caitlin, as you said earlier, the scene where, you know, he's with the opponent's wife, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, Oof. you know, she ex- she explains a very, you know, personal thing to him. Mm-hmm. And he seems to be listening and have some, you know, respect and everything. Yeah. But then, you know, right. Two seconds later. That, and that sets his character. Everything he can use. 
he will use against others, you know? Yeah. So. Well, that's that's something that I maybe I mean, if, if it works for everybody, I mean, that maybe is a good opportunity to slip over to just Reg as a character. Mm -hmm. I wonder I'm trying to think I, I couldn't think of like a modern day analog for this character because I do think that there is value in presenting a character like this who is, you know, like. I, I struggle to call him like a complicated guy, uh, but someone who responds to insecurity by being hateful. Mm -hmm. Like that is, I think, something that exists in the world. It exists oh, yeah. in a lot of men, but a lot of people, but mostly men, uh, if we're being <laughs> honest. And, but, you know, in general, these these are people who exist in the world. I don't think it's off the table to present that. But presenting it as your movie star hero is a very difficult sell for me because then it's like, I think that the element, like Paul Newman, I think gives a good performance in this movie, but he's Paul Newman, you know, he's mm. like, you're going to love him because he's Paul Newman and he's mm. charismatic and he's handsome. And even when he's saying horrible things, especially in the late seventies where people said horrible things more openly than mm. they currently do. Like it's just, it's, even if there is something to be said about presenting a character like this, I feel like the combination of positioning it as your main character and your hero, and also like combining that with, he doesn't really, I mean, I guess like he doesn't get what he wants in the way that we see in some movies where like someone fucking sucks the whole movie. And then for some reason they get exactly what they want at the end. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a mixed bag for Reg at the end. But I wouldn't say he like he doesn't get his uh, really he, like he, he gets comes... to continue to work in hockey like he gets yeah. part of it. I think the main thing he loses is the relationship that he very obviously still wants. Right. Yeah. And deservedly so. And that I think is one of the better done parts of the movie. For sure. But yeah, I don't know. I struggled with how his character was framed. I don't know. Especially because he learns nothing. He shows no growth. And even at the end when it seems like, you know what, I don't want to win this way by, you know, pummeling the other team. I want to play hockey and win that way. And then as soon as he's like, oh, there's scouts here. Kind of it's like, oh, never, never mind. mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, so you have absolutely no code of ethics. That's interesting. And, and, and again, I mean, I don't know if we're supposed to be where we're supposed to be in this discussion. But, you know, again, the more I thought about it, I remember reading a piece several years ago about the movie as, you know, kind of a, not a hockey movie or a good, but like a sort of a snapshot of America kind of at the time, mm -hmm. late 70s. And, I, you know, I, I can't really remember what the economy was like, you know, but, but things, you know, long-time businesses, you know, long-time industries, were really taking, you know, a hit back then, mm -hmm. like the steel industry. And and one of the things that kind of struck me watching this, like with everybody depicted in there, even if they're not characters in the movie, but like, you know, the fans, right? They're all looking at losing their jobs because they're, you know, their jobs are going to disappear. Mm -hmm. And the players, will they get signed? You know, will the team fold? Will it, you know, they were believing it would get sold. To me, there's like this low-level desperation, you know, to survive on the on the parts of everyone there, you know. Mm -hmm. And in the case of Paul Newman's, you know, Paul Newman being the oldest one, 
being not really that successful, you know, I mean, whether this is, you know, him all the time or not, you know, he's, he's kind of the worst one. He's like, I, I will, yeah. I will do anything. I'll do whatever it takes, you know, to be able to continue my career someplace else mm-hmm. or here. And if it has to do with, you know, kind of manipulating my players or manipulating people who you know, are involved, my players, you know, means to an end pretty much every, all the way through, mm-hmm. you know? I, yeah, I, I, the closest I can get to rationalizing Reg's character, I read um, an essay, an academic essay. I was on google.scholar.com. Oh, of course. Yes. This was published in Athlon, A-E-T-H-L-O-N, Athlon, okay. the Journal of Sport Literature, Volume 37, Issue 1, wow. from 2019, written by John Soares. So take everything he says with a grain of salt. <laughs> but I did really appreciate his retrospective view on this movie. And I think it it offered, because he did a more class-driven view of the men on this team, which mm-hmm. I do think is a valuable way of, of looking at this movie but he basically makes the argument that Reg's character like doesn't shy away from the fact that Reg is a despicable character. Mm-hmm. And I do, I guess it's like, we don't have 1977 goggles to put on. And I wonder how clearly that read at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that the argument that he makes that I think is interesting and kind of speaks to like the parts of this movie that did work for me was that you know, I think the setting is very relevant here where they're like encapsulated in this fictional steel town where jobs are falling left and right. There's this huge sense of insecurity about the future. Mm-hmm. And you see in these men on the team, a level of like people acting desperately when their future is insecure. And I think Reg is a really extreme kind of like monstrous version of that where he is so desperate to preserve what he wants for his version of the future that he will undercut almost anyone in his life even if he likes and respects them he is not above completely selling them out in order to preserve the future that he feels entitled to and john soares kind of makes the argument that this movie illustrates well i guess something that is historically true i didn't know this but i was delighted to learn it that uh in times of uh economic insecurity and in recessions and depressions women are like statistically more likely to um move with the time and men Mm -hmm. are more likely to cling to how things were and be unwilling to change their situation they're less likely to want to move they're less likely to want to switch professions they're less likely to want to change the way that their day-to-day life is Mm -hmm. versus women are far more likely to be i guess like just kind of more realistic about what's happening yeah Uh more adaptable you know there's a line in the movie and in the scene where you know reg and um his opponent's wife Mm -hmm. are in bed and it, it closes with i think he's telling her you know, the team's going to fold or the team, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she says to him, you know, just, just use your imagination. That's what I've been doing. Um, So it's, you know, and I think he uses that line himself later on on somebody else, but you know. But he's still, I mean, it's like, but I think that that's part of like what is frustrating about the men in this movie for me is like, they, even at the end, and I think the movie is conscious of this, like Reg has not really changed. 
because his last line is him lying about whether his wife is leaving him or not because you know lily is oh, like oh yeah. is she coming and he's like yeah and <laughs> we know she's not and it's yeah. like this it's kind of like a I think viewed a certain way, and this is not the way that this character is regarded in pop culture, but I, I liked looking at it that way of like, this guy is kind of tragic and he can't accept that things are changing and that his life is changing. And that is something that I think is like very relatable and everyone has experienced that to some degree. Mm -hmm. And also it's like, if you, whatever, because we as the audience know that he is just like really committed to having the upper hand in his life in a way that's impossible. And mm -hmm. I just thought it was interesting. Um, but yeah, I, I think that viewed from that sort of perspective, the men in this movie are not flexible. Uh, they are completely inflexible and they refuse to accept a future that is uncomfortable to them. Mm -hmm. And the women in this movie are not like that. They will, I mean, I think that the, well, and we'll talk about Lily shortly because it's like, her character is so frustrating because I feel like she was inconsistent with this mm -hmm. but with the characters of Suzanne who is um Suzanne Hanrahan I'm assuming mm -hmm. um <laughs> and and Francine they are both women who are like look I was either uncomfortable unsafe and so I got the fuck out and I moved on with my life and mm -hmm. that's like that's what you have to do to survive. And I think it's especially effective with Francine because she knows that she's right to leave him. I honestly was, I thought that the movie would end with them getting back together. Oh, and I was, I was so afraid. thrilled that it didn't. Absolutely. It feels like a good fake out. Yeah. She turns, she turns her car around and joins the parade. Yeah. I mean, and that was, you know, again, that was a thing that sort of struck me about the movie You know, in a lot of other movies. That's what would have happened, you know. They would have gotten together at the end, you know. Yeah, she would have right. been like, wow, yeah. you won the trophy at the championship <laughs> game? Well, right. here's me, another trophy. It's trophy number two, <laughs> baby. <laughs> well, but, you know, happy endings in movies, right? That's the Hollywood does love a happy ending. But, but the last shot of this movie is her driving in the other direction. And I feel like that, it's great. that was my favorite sort of thread in the movie is I felt like because of the time and I mean, this still happens in, in movies that they would somehow end up reconciling when she showed up at the game at the end. I'm like, well, yeah, that's curtains on Francine. She's going to be mm -hmm. fucked over. Mm -hmm. But, I, but rewatching it again, knowing that she leaves, it's even kind of like cooler yeah, she was my favorite character because she consistently like she has affection for her ex-husband, but also like doesn't want to get back together. And I think like in their interactions, it was really interesting because Paul Newman's character is constantly trying to like manufacture a need that she would have for him where he's on. He's constantly like, well, if you need money, you can call me. And she's like, I don't buy like, you know, she doesn't need him. And he can't like he knows that at his core because he says it behind her back. He never says it to her face, mm -hmm. but he says behind her back, like, oh yeah, since my wife broke up with me, she her life has been way better. Like he <laughs> says that to Lily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, he knows it, but he can't really admit it. And it's just, it, it felt like an, an interesting, like complicated relationship dynamic that feels like something that happens in the real world. And, and I just like that specific subplot, I think kind of worked for me, especially because Francine was like, you know, touched that he seemed to recognize that when she heard it from a third party. Mm -hmm. But 
he's right and she wants to move on with her life and she does and i I thought that that was cool yes but for some reason that same nuance and generosity is not extended to lily which i found to be so weird i'm like was that a studio note like two women can't leave their husbands it can just be the one like what happened there because lily i think again is set up in an interesting way but then it kind of goes away by the end of the movie right it seems like she's being set up to that her arc will be like she's mustering up the courage to actually leave her husband which is something that she seems to want to do for a while she's like very vocal about how miserable she is in this town she seems very miserable in the relationship she's watching her husband flirting with other women and she eventually I don't know if there's some catalyst that gets her to finally leave him or if it just kind of happens but one day she shows up on also the fact that she goes to Reggie I guess he's the only person who has like extended any kind of olive branch or or anything I I sort of found that to be an act of desperation because we've seen her fail to make friends and connections inside of this small world that she's been forced into kind of right because we see her hang out with other (laughs) hockey wives for lack of a better right term right Mm -hmm. who to be fair and i think this is like a class thing where she and her husband ned because they're like from you know well-to-do families and they're both college educated she is positioned as like smarter hotter better than the other hockey wives which didn't feel fair right yeah and she's not able to connect with them so anyway she leaves Braden for a while and goes to Reggie and she's like I'm moving in I guess and then he takes her he introduces her to Francine and what I would have liked to have happened was they become friends. They have a lot of common ground. You know, they're both in... Right, which is, like, established in the one scene they have together. Mm-hmm. It's, like, right, like Lily either... has a lot to learn. For sure. Like, they're in either, like, current or former relationships with hockey players who don't know how to treat women well at all. And the women are sick of it. And I thought it was going to be a situation where Francine empowers Lily to, like you know strike out on her own because there's which it's like i well but it's that's what was so confusing because it felt like you know i you can i i don't know like the makeover thing didn't bother me at all really because it's also like we're seeing suzanne or no sorry we're seeing francine at her job so Mm -hmm. okay i think a lesser movie would have reg be like we gotta make this girl over and you know but like reg is right there and francine and like whatever it's a dated way of doing it but i was like okay but then when, mm-hmm. but then when they go to the hockey game, I'm like, what happened? Because I really liked that conversation where Lily is, and again, it's like in the context of like, what I mean, we're well into second wave feminism by the late 70s, but leaving your husband in the late 70s is different than currently, right? Mm-hmm. And there are different dynamics to that. Um, and so I understand why like Lily is nervous about it it's a nerve-wracking experience to leave your spouse no matter what year it's happening in right but i like i I liked how francine like she said it's lousy at first you think you're dying but then it's fabulous you become a new woman and you're like this is such an (laughs) interesting 
dynamic to set up, but then it just goes nowhere. It goes back nowhere. To, yeah. Yeah. And the interesting, you know, Caitlin too, I mean, you like, and Jamie, um, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> that's your name, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. Like Lily, you know, that whole character sort of confuses me because, you know, she makes very clear she doesn't like that life. They could go back to, you know, something easier with, with money. Mm-hmm. And um, she leaves her husband, but stays in the life, you know. Mm-hmm. She stays in, in the town. She goes to another hockey person, you know. So it's like... I do wonder, I mean, but I wondered, like, if that was just like temporary and then she because it was like i mean i guess it took francine we don't know how long she and reg have been separated or how long francine had to save or whatever it would take for her to start her restart her life somewhere else but it's i don't know it seemed like the movie was setting us up for like oh francine could inspire or give lily the confidence to right do something similar Mm -hmm. yes coach i agree like i empower her coach her uh, so that that part was a little bit hard not to just but it was like oh I didn't think that was going to be the result of this you know right because then it's yeah. like Ned Ned does not change at all I know that like symbolically mm-hmm. him doing the strip tease is supposed to mean something but it just like that did <laughs> nothing for me at all I found his character frustrating throughout I mean as you know that I just like did not take to that character at all I didn't like him I thought he was both snobby and exactly all of the things that he claimed that he was above like yeah yeah i just i just didn't uh, i thought he was like such a snotty little asshole who is horrible to his wife didn't know how to communicate with her again a legitimate relationship dynamic to explore but like it felt like at the end he's like now i got my wife back and she's got this cool new makeover and it's like but you did nothing you did nothing and the last Mm-mm. thing he did before he did his weird little routine that i didn't like <laughs> was like talk shit about her on the radio and it was like oh. is anyone gonna tell her about that is anyone gonna tell her that right. he like called her a hot piece of ass who's an alcoholic that hates him on the radio because <laughs> i i would not be thrilled to hear my spouse saying shit like that yeah. true but then i'd be like but he's exactly right i am a hot piece of ass like, who yeah, hates I him am hot. i do hate him <laughs> and i'd stop drinking if i if i just left him yeah yeah yeah, I mean, when Francine and Lily show up to the game at the end, one of them says, what am I even doing here? And I'm like, yeah, That's a good question. what are you even doing right. there? Yeah. I wish that I knew the answer. Mm-hmm. Well, I think if, if, if Lily wanted to go to that last game, she did not really have a lot of friends among the other wives. True. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, like as an ally, maybe. And there is another scene, and, you know, you know, we've talked mainly about the same two, three women. Um, but there are some scenes with the other wives. Like there's a scene where the wives are all in their car waiting for their husbands to get home mm-hmm. from a bus trip. And I, I thought it's a sort of a sad scene, but in, in, the, in the same way they kind of like have to kind of, you know, form their own little group and rally around each other and support each other because they clearly are not, you know, too psyched with with the life either and their, you know, what their husbands are doing and, you know, that they're gone and this and that. I wish, since this is mostly an an ensemble cast, you know, you've got Paul Newman is like the main character, but you've got Mm -hmm. a lot of little subplots with various other characters that there was more focus on 
the wives of these hockey players because to me they're in more interesting situations than especially because so many of the men are characterized as either just being like hot-headed or trying to prove something about their masculinity or their sleazy creeps or they're wildly homophobic, you know, all of this stuff that I don't want to see. And then the women are in this position of, you know, it's a time where uh, a lot of people in like hetero couples, the women were still relying on, on their husbands for sustainability, like for his income and women in the workplace were not as welcome as they are today. So it was hard to be a single woman or to be, you know, someone earning your own way as a woman at that time. And so they're relying on these men who are not treating them well at all, but it's also very like normalized culturally but they still are like heavily drinking about it. There's a scene where I, well, actually I, I I liked the scene. I think you're going to reference because I, yeah, it's, I'm trying to like put this through because it's like, it's not like there were not movies that had women protagonists in the seventies, but in sports movies, I know that that was, I I feel like, I don't know. I I feel like I, I feel a little defensive of Nancy Dodd because I will say, I do think that in this movie, the men, with the exception of Reg, who at least you see a few layers of, even though I kind of dislike all of them, but you do see different <laughs> layers of this character. So there's like yeah. nuance in how he's written. But I think that the women that are, are presented far more broadly than the men are, because most of the hockey team, except for like Ned and Reg, are like, just like, here's this guy and this is what Mm -hmm. he does and how he reacts like here's a sexist guy here's a violent guy here's a homophobic guy and you're like Mm -hmm. there's all these guys (laughs) and they're written in the very very broad way that Mm -hmm. men in raunchy comedies are which is kind of why i don't like the genre Mm -hmm. but i will say that like i mean i even think back to like raunchy comedies that came out when we were the target audience and I'm thinking like early hangover movies and like Judd Apatow movies and shit like that and I feel like in this movie you get women like more different kinds of women than you did like 30 years later in some cases but true I think the hockey wives are the most broadly written women that appear in the movie and I didn't love that because I feel like it, it in the same way that I didn't like when Ned was like a snotty like I went to whatever fucking school he went to and so i'm better than most of the guys on this team mm-hmm. like it's just like a moral superiority and lily kind of takes that into how she treats the hockey wives where i think she treats them kind of as like bimbos who aren't as smart as her and it seems yeah. like that is a part of the reason that she doesn't hang out with them because it seems like the other hockey wives who i don't know if we get names for them yeah. they seem like they they i mean they have a lot in common a lot of what they have in common sucks is like <laughs> they are sort of along for the ride of their husband's career and it seems isolating and depressing and frustrating mm-hmm. and i thought it was it, she's made a joke of but we see the same hockey wife a few different times who's constantly like kind of referencing like johnny either like johnny yes johnny's yeah. wife who's johnny i have no idea which player johnny is but He's one of them. One of them. But I thought Johnny's wife, like I, she's played for laughs mostly, but I thought it was like, I don't know. I didn't, 
I liked her. Like she was, Mm -hmm. she was like trying to make the best of what she seemed to know was a bad situation, but she was like, I'm trying to get my husband to read a book or like, (laughs) I'm trying to get my husband to do anything except Mm -hmm. be a fucking goon, which is like, whatever, what like all the guys in the team are. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's not, is it the most progressive thing ever? No, but I did (laughs) feel like there is like, she was like an interesting character that I, I wish had been played for more than laughs because when um one of the fights that Lily and Ned have in public, you know, Lily basically ends by being like, me and Ned are better than everyone here. Bye. And like leaves. Mm-hmm. Right. And th- Johnny's wife, who, God, I wish <laughs> she had a name, responds to that by being like, oh, I really feel for her. And you're like, that's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I whatever like i guess i understand like those it seems like it's implied in the movie that those women don't connect with each other because of class differences mm-hmm. but i felt like the hot the hockey wives i thought were played broadly in a way that it would have been because i i appreciated that the movie made time for women at all mm-hmm. which again it's like i like sports movies almost never do and if you if you do it's like the supportive wife like grabbing their husband's hand being like go go coach him baby or whatever the fuck <laughs> which is like so fucking boring but it's like how a lot of women appear in sports movies at all mm-hmm. but there was I, especially because it's like nancy dad seemed to want to include women but it felt like well to an extent like right. I, i'm happy to include educated women but like it seemed like the hockey wives were i just feel like there was room for them to be played off as more of kind of one-liners but i liked that scene in the car where it was like even though these women don't get along they do have a common struggle and they are pushed aside and expected to put up with all of this shit and it's like leading to addiction issues for them and yeah they all seem to be self-medicating to fight Mm -hmm. the just either loneliness or abuse that they're putting up with right can we talk about Suzanne (laughs) because let's talk about Suzanne so Suzanne is the character I think she's only in one scene yeah which is wild because the 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 actor who plays her is like so successful and won an Oscar like this same year oh wow wait what's her name I didn't even look it up Belinda Dillon, you probably, my dad picked up on this. I was like, oh, she is, she, I think most iconically plays the mom in a Christmas story, Mm. but she, she, or no, sorry. She was nominated this same year for playing, um, I think the mom character in Close Encounters. Okay. Mm -hmm. But whatever. She's like a very, very successful actor, Mm -hmm. but she's only in this movie for one Minutes. For one scene, and yeah. it's the scene where she's in bed with Reggie, and she's talking about how um, her husband, Hanrahan, when he was like out on the road for a game, how she and another hockey wife, they would get together and talk about how depressed and lonely they were without the men, and then also how they lamented that they never did much of anything themselves which i feel like is also maybe what uh lily struggles with to some degree where she's like i'm not doing anything but like supporting my husband in his career but like what about or maybe this is just like headcanon that i'm assigning to lily but anyway suzanne's talking about how like oh i never did anything for myself 
And then she goes on to describe how one night when she and this other hockey wife were hanging out, they were drinking and they started fooling around, but then they kept getting together and having sex sober and that they were like engaging in this like sexual relationship that they were both into. And she's like, hey, Reg, have you ever considered sleeping with men? And at first he says no, but then he's like, who knows? Maybe I'll start sleeping with old goalies. And then I'm like, okay, he's, I don't know. Uh, That scene is like (laughs) almost, and then uh, it's so frustrating. But it's also like, I feel like it's like, Reg sucks. And it's like, it's so frustrating to see a character that in their more private moments seems to be a better person than they are in their public public Yeah, right. Because... Again, the whole reason this scene even happens narratively in the movie is that so he now has information that he uses against his opponent in a in a way that like outs um, this guy's wife, like disparages her for her queerness. And he's like using that as ammunition to try to win the game and like for his own personal benefit. He does something similar with the general manager, that guy, Joe, where he's like, hey, remember that night that you I walked in on you and you were wearing like women's lingerie and then you came on to me? Well, I don't have to tell anyone about that as long as you give me. So he basically like blackmails him to learn the owner, who the owner of the team is. That's something that. Yeah. And then that's like I do think the Reg is is a super villain because (laughs) I do almost believe him when he says that he like he's like i get it it's the 70s queer people exist Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i do believe that he understands that but the fact that he understands that and is not above exploiting societal homophobia against people that he knows and says he likes Mm -hmm. it's like that's that's extra evil that's that's extra evil and and in that scene you know like first of all the scene where he you know kind of baits the opponent the goalie right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know with this information that he has about his wife you know Mm -hmm. from a hockey perspective you know nobody nobody stands on the ice and shouts at someone and then moves over you know oh they're not shouting plot points at each other on that <laughs> no no so that that was like annoying because some of the you know some of the stuff with the Hanson brothers the hockey the skating the this that the hitting you know is is legit those guys were really hockey players mm-hmm. but so Reg Dunlop enrages the goalie who attacks him finally mm-hmm. after a goal and it's a big fight. Now, does anybody know at first, like, what caused this big fight? Did anybody hear what Reg was saying? I don't think so. Just the goalie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he, he, he could have left it there on the ice. Right. But then, he come, but. but then he comes in and tells his whole team. Like, when they ask him, what'd you say? You know? And he, 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 he says tells the whole thing he about, you know, someone else that he was, you know, I don't know, uh, that... That is diabolical. Yes, a little. It's evil. Like it's evil. It's and it's so fresh because it's. I didn't hate their scene together before I saw the scene after mm-hmm. because it, it felt like these are themes and just like queer people like just appearing in movies at all in a way that was like it seemed like they both accepted each other in that scene and like the language is 
not great but it's like for the time it was like wow this i it seems very unlikely that this was appearing in like popular summer comedies at the mm-hmm. time so okay like you know i can navigate around the dated elements of it but yeah it's uh it yeah he he was so evil about that and i feel like she because that character never comes back it it doesn't come back around in a satisfying way but in the same way, I I love. I mean, I love her. I like that scene. I think the last thing that we were talking about, Dad, that I think is extra evil about Reg in that situation <laughs> is that she mentions in that scene that when her husband found out that she oh, yeah. had had sex with women, he was uh, so abusive to her that she was in the hospital. And yeah. it's like, well, Reg clearly doesn't care about that yeah, because yeah, he sure. then taunts her husband that he knows to be abusive, and and she says that like she's hiding out from him like it's just it sounds yeah. like she was in this tremendously abusive relationship which again i believe it like seems you know whatever that that still happens mm-hmm. uh but the fact that like our movie star hero then does that it, i feel like it did undercut it the the fact that the movie went out of its way to say like that her having a queer relationship not only was he upset about being cheated on but also this thing that felt i don't know i mean that i guess you can tell us for the time like there seemed like there was talk among the men of just confusion uh, uh, and like hateful confusion mm-hmm. in hanrahan and the whole team's case they're like well if my wife yeah. has a relationship with a woman then am i gay and i can't be gay and like just like stuff that makes no yeah. sense yeah I, that was a that was a stretch i think i don't know that okay. that you know, I was like, people did people think did that? people believe like, oh. that? Right? Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure that, you know, but when I was a kid, I don't really think that that is what somebody somebody thought. It make any, yeah, I was like, it doesn't make any sense, but yeah, okay. I was I was curious about that, but it it yeah. I mean, just again, Reg Reg sucks. Ugh. I love Paul Newman and I love Salad, but I hate Reg. Yeah. And <laughs> yes, and it is what it is. But I did think that it was again, it's like this this movie feels like it's doing incremental stuff in this genre that you don't see decades later. So I do appreciate that. It's like there is a queer character who is like open about it, is cool, is performed in a way that felt authentic and and cool, but also, the it, it, 70s element of it is that they're immediately put in danger and then never appear in the movie again. So, but, but, and yeah. you know, she's she's talking about her sexual relationship with a woman, but the scene we're seeing on screen is her <laughs> in a sexual situation with a man because heaven forbid we see like queer romance or sexuality actually on screen at that time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Or and and it's like I sort of chalked that up more to like well how did people talk about uh bisexuality in the 70s did they know how did they have the tools i don't think i just sort of assumed they did but also like the way that raunchy comedies of like the 90s and 2000s would have which i think are worse than this movie honestly they are they yeah and we've talked about i think i've like speculated as to to why but the way that those movies will have visibility of queer characters or of people of color, but they're only there to then be like punching bags to the the main characters who are just saying horrible things and like making jokes at their 
expense of like what in whatever way they are marginalized that's that's why they're there and it's so jokes can be made at their expense so and I felt the same way for Suzanne like yes she's a queer character who's talking openly about her queerness to someone who seems receptive to it but we learn that that scene is only in the movie so that this guy can use that as ammunition to win a hockey game (laughs) and then boast about it he's like yeah team the reason we won is because i outed this woman who has an abusive husband anyone who had listened yeah that's I think that's like that's a not that it justifies any kind of behavior, but the fact that he does it a second time, like he shouts it at her husband, which is putting her in danger in one way, but then he does it a second time right after, and it's like he stinks. He's the worst. Um, How are you doing, Dad? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have much else to to say except that um, their their bus driver is wearing a helmet with a swastika on it. I noticed that as well. I never, never caught that the first several times I watched the movie. You know, Walt, Walt, who just goes from Walt the bus driver, and you know he's another one. He gets all swept and swept up in the, you know, chief's mania mm. and starts, yeah. you know, hammering the bus, you know, to make it look meaner, and then the the swastika, right. you know. But then um, you're just like, is that? Yeah, that that was a kind of jump scare in the movie, and it's like if it was meant. I think maybe the most generous reading of that was like, oh, this team is getting more and more evil. But you're like, mm-hmm. there's so many, there, did, there's no world where you, that was necessary. No. Yeah. 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 There's also an indigenous player during the final oh, game. I want to talk about that. Yes. I mean, I know obviously you do because you brought it up. Um, <laughs> yes. Which in general, because the team in this movie are called the Chiefs. And there's mm-hmm. a lot of, and, and I think that that's an ongoing oh. conversation in sports is um, is teams that are named and characterize indigenous people mm-hmm. as mascots. And yes. that's, that's an ongoing conversation. Also in hockey specifically, because the Chicago Blackhawks, I mean, Dan, I know you know this, uh, you, you know, this whole conversation of, of yep. representing indigenous people as mascots and mm-hmm. the issues and conversations that have taken place and mm-hmm. also that team is still called the chicago blackhawks they did not mm-hmm. make any changes after that conversation was had i was trying to it happened in the mid 2010s mm-hmm. but i thought so this team is named the chiefs mm-hmm. and there is a character in oh. the um on the syracuse team Yes. What is, what is his Clarence, Clarence Swamp Town, screaming, aka Screaming Buffalo, yeah. who is played by a real hockey player named Joe Nolan, who is mm-hmm. First Nations. Mm-hmm. I was worried that I was really worried that it was a guy in brown, face. a white guy. Yeah, but, but this is a real Indigenous person, a real hockey player. However, the way that the costuming and the just characterization of that character is still relying heavily on stereotypes of indigenous and First Nations people. So, whoops. It's, yeah. I... That's a tough one. You know, I mean, all the way down to like I would said earlier, so much of the hockey parts of it are like, 
you know, an exaggeration, you know, like almost like a caricature, mm-hmm. you know, that scene, that's one of the things in the, in the movie. It's like that never would be allowed. You know, he just, he, right. that's, that's a, you know, and again, it's, you know, we, we've talked to, you know, if you could snip this guy out and this guy out, it really changes thing. That was like, all right, you've, you've made your point, you know, that the Syracuse team is loaded up on rugged guys right you know to to pay you back you know it, it, like how well, many did you have to have right well and it's also like i don't think that the solution to that is cutting out that character it's just presenting this real life uh first nations hockey player in a way that wasn't you know inherently connected to the fact that he was a first nations player like i, I don't know i have no objection to like having a because because like you've mentioned that there's so many real life hockey players that appear in this movie and joe nolan like played on a number of teams including the johnstown jets he's from a hockey family he is uh this is according to hockeylegends.com scholarly journal (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) he is ojibwa Uh, He is the uncle of Buffalo Sabres coach Ted Nolan and great uncle of Jordan Nolan of the L.A. Kings. Mm -hmm. So he's like from a Mm. like legacy hockey family. There's no issue with him being in this movie. It's just like presenting him as not inherently connected to his like it's just like it's obviously written by a white writer of the time disrespectful and just being like, Mm. well, this is his heritage. So this is going to be the whole character and Mm -hmm. we're going to write it in the way like we're going to write him for a white audience yeah um, in the most tropey way possible and it would have been cool like it would have been cool if joe nolan was cast in a role that was not that like was just yeah. like he could have played a he could be a guy on that team but just it's obviously racist the way it's done right with more than 15 seconds of screen time you know yeah um i also this is like separate but it, i learned about it on my trip mm. at the hockey hall of fame mm-hmm. so i wanted to mention it um, and we can link it in the description of this episode, but um, just the history of Native American and First Nations players within hockey. There's uh, a lot to be discussed and learned about mm-hmm. um, where there are still a, a number of I mean, like there are a number of Native players in professional hockey today, uh, but there's also a history of hockey in reservation schools and Mm. hockey has a role in Canadian reservation schools. There's been a lot written about it in the last couple of years um, that I think is very relevant to what we're talking about. Very interesting. And when, especially when this Joe Nolan character came up, it was like, Oh, there's actually a lot of troubling and like relevant indigenous history within hockey that um, if you're, if you're interested, we can link a a piece that I, I read below and I learned about it. I don't know why I keep plugging the hockey museum. I thought it was really interesting. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and we'll link it. Yes, indeed. Ironically, I have never been to the Hockey Hall of Fame. <gasps> I know. I was just like texting you pictures the whole time. Where is it? Toronto? Yes. In Toronto. Yeah. The yeah. Hockey Hall of Fame. I saw the Stanley Cup from a healthy distance. And then I did not pay $10 to have my picture <laughs> taken next to it. Nice. Nice. So I took a picture of it from far away. <laughs> Does anyone have anything else they'd like to discuss well just because i did all the research no yeah, i mean one of, the, one of the one of the one of the interesting things i mean the people who know this movie would be very frustrated it was like how could you not talk about you know the interesting things to me are that there really were like so the the three hansen brothers mm-hmm. 
there really were three brothers on that Johnstown team. Mm -hmm. Their last name was Carlson. They were all supposed to be in the movie. One of them got called up to a better team, so they had to replace him with somebody who looked similar. Mm -hmm. His last name was Hanson. Yeah. And that's that's how they named the three the Hansons. But Got it. it just there's a, there's a lot of little interesting things there. The um the one character that um the, he's like I want to collect that bounty. Mm-hmm. Who is another person that Reg Dunlop you know manipulates because he's you know kind of like a a peacenik and a meditator and everything like that. And all of a sudden he becomes right. Dave Killer Carlson. Yeah. Well, Dave Killer Carlson was a real player and he he replaced the Hanson that had to leave it's just oh, it's, it's, there's a lot of okay. funny things in there <laughs> so he thought he was going to get to play himself but instead he had to be a, a you know become like a surrogate brother and be in a movie where someone played him God. my last favorite thing is you know I'm no actor but uh, throughout the movie there are references made to this player that everybody's fearful of you know Ogie Oglethorpe right yes Ogie finally shows up in that last game Mm -hmm. never says a word scowling at everybody in that scene Mm -hmm. scowling and then fighting that is Ned Dowd whose sister wrote the movie oh okay Nancy Dowd's brother yes so so Ogie is you know but I mean I just that scene just cracks me up just the skating out with the you know chewing the gum and looking either way and you know but for for that amount of screen time just you you know to sell it i'm like all right nice job guy (laughs) yeah i mean i i I like i think that that's like just the i don't know element of just like how she did this sort of immersive approach to researching and then seemed to include a lot of people that she'd come across or learned about in that research in the movie like that's i just I don't know. I think that's cool. You know, and there, there, you know, there are there are elements of truth in it too. And then I'll stop talking. But you know, the the Charlestown Chiefs slash Johnstown Jets, that 1977 season that concluded so they could make the movie, the, the Jets didn't go out of business, but their league folded. Oh. oh, okay. You know, so this 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 was a thing that was happening, and that league had only been around for four years. The other thing that's interesting is like, you know, how outrageous it was that like, why would anybody buy a hockey team in Florida? Hmm. Well, you know, there are professional hockey teams in Florida now and it's, you know, it's gone pretty well in a, in a couple of the places. So, yeah. Good for well, I, I, I guess that's the last thing I, I wanted to say was that I appreciated that the movie went out of its way to connect the struggle of this hockey team to what was going on in their community and how like it was just like acknowledging. I don't know. It felt like it, it, oh, because it was done off of this very specific reporting in this region or this research i guess in this region it like does reflect the socioeconomic problems in the pittsburgh area in the late 70s and -hmm. connects it to this hockey team in a way that feels i don't know like class conscious in a way that a lot of sports movies either aren't or feel like overly sort of melodramatic about it just felt like it fit very cleanly into this world and like not only like it wasn't like the town and the team because it was a minor league team, the team is a part of the town. And mm-hmm. so they're all sort of sharing the same kind of issues. Um, right. Yeah. That and we, you know, we're talking about this earlier, but how Reggie like does a bunch of, you know, it's like desperate times call for desperate measures and under capitalism 
when mm-hmm. you know your livelihood is being threatened a lot of people do have to act out of desperation and and do yeah. things that they would maybe not otherwise do to survive but and so in that manifests in Reggie as like manipulating people in a way that's like extremely harmful so i guess my point is like you can do things out of desperation because capitalism is killing us all without also being extremely homophobic and you know all the other things that he does like it would be it would be one thing if all he did was just like lie to his team and like plant that story in the sports writer to be like i heard we were getting bought by florida and he if he tells his team this and his objective is just to get morale up so that they can win and like actually maybe have a shot like i wouldn't have any problem with that really because it's like a not of not a diabolical lie it's a victimless crime yeah yeah but the fact that he's doing that plus all manner of like blackmailing homophobia outing people all this stuff like that's where i can't yeah Yeah. so you're not so you're not just gonna call him oh that old rascal reg huh not today (laughs) okay not today baby um so okay uh let's get through it i do this movie does this movie pass. technically it does <laughs> well yeah. i was so surprised to hear that this <laughs> yeah movie he passed. kept checking with me to make sure that i and he was like wait what <laughs> like, so it doesn't well it's a flawed metric mm-hmm. it doesn't just because it passes doesn't mean it's a feminist movie <laughs> no right. I, okay because lily and francine talk about lily's hair and cheekbones and share oh. <laughs> and share they, they mention share oh. um yes. and then there's the other scene where it's lily and then the two other women who i don't think have names so by that caveat it would not pass but they are talking about drinking alcohol and they're talking about addiction problems yeah like yeah so so it's it's by the by the skin of its teeth but it does technically pass and i feel like i i want to i want to hand it to this movie as passing because of it feels like in many ways the odds are stacked against any sports movie about a men's team in passing i was really surprised that it technically passes Mm -hmm. i mean if i can close i mean when i thought about it in the you know you know the the theme of your cast. I really just thought that this was a movie that, you know, crass and and guys and but mm. that the women kind of like stuck up for each other, helped each other. Um, didn't always. I mean, Francine's great. I mean, she tells them like right off the bat, one of their first scenes, like you know, you're a terrible coach. Your team stink. You know, <laughs> I mean. Yeah, pulls, she you know, really has no faith she, in them you know, and does not she's hide not, it. Right. You know. Um, <laughs> So, and, and I, you know, and I love, like I said, I love most of the last scene. I still can't figure out, you know, how Lily and Ned end up together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree with you, Caitlin. I thought that, that the scene with Francine was going to empower her to really go. But, yeah. um, you know, that Francine, you know, goes her own way. I mean, it's just, you know, it's sort of <laughs> her own path because she, you know, cuts through cuts through the parade and goes down the, you know, down the road by herself. Um, I just thought it was, you know, that that was an element to the movie that shouldn't really, you know, be overlooked. For sure. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, and I do think for, for especially for its time and also for this genre, even now, it is like unusual for women to be included. Mm -hmm. Also, as much as I hate Ned, he was in Twin Peaks. So that's kind of fun. Oh. He played hockey at the University of New Hampshire as well. And we can't take that from him either, <laughs> of course. Well, and it's, it's big time hockey. Oh, is it? Yes. See, okay, now, I'm, now I sound like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Uh, this movie surprised me in ways I wasn't expecting it to. Hmm. But but we should we should talk about the most important metric on the face of the planet, which oh is uh, our nipple scale. Yes, a scale of zero to five nipples, in which we rate what? the movie. That's true. You heard Wait, correct. Yes, Mike. we need to break it down. Zero to five nipples, rating the movie based on examining it through an intersectional feminist lens. Yeah, I'll give this movie one nipple for its a handful of female characters who obviously I wish the movie had done a lot more with given more just real estate in the story to Suzanne only being there so that her situation could be used as ammunition against her husband is obviously gross but if she had been a more meaningful character so I guess I'm giving it one nipple for the potential that the movie mostly squandered I do appreciate that Francine stands her ground in not being willing to get back together with her shitty husband. I I agree that like most movies would have like framed her as like the he's trying, he's trying and then at the end he finally gets her back and she's the other trophy he wins. But this movie doesn't do that and that does count for something. Um, wow, the bar is so low. Um, <laughs> but everything else the movie does as far as it's just like rampant homophobia, ableist slurs are getting tossed around casually. The The treatment of the the one indigenous character that we see on screen, all that kind of stuff. If anyone is looking for a movie that features mostly men <laughs> oh. that is about men who are affected by a steel mill closing might i recommend the full monty because it handles themes of toxic masculinity and and things like that in a much more thoughtful way i would say <laughs> um not about hockey though it is about men stripping although well, similar ending because there we go. Slapshot does end in a striptease. So anyway, I I'm glad I guess that this movie, at least for like Jamie, yours and my generation and younger <laughs> generations, it is not something that most people are super aware of. It has not like it hasn't ended up as like this like piece of classic Hollywood cinema that you must revisit. It's it doesn't have much of a lasting legacy in that way. Well, I mean, except for hockey fans, where it sure. has a massive like, like it, it yeah. in a niche way, yeah. it has a huge legacy. In the general way, not as much. True, true. Yeah. So one nipple, and I will give it to my favorite character, Francine. Uh, I'm gonna give this movie two nipples because it's my birthday, mm -hmm. and I no, but I I do think that like. I, I agree. With, I mean, we've we've talked about it at length now where this movie is 
not generous in so many ways. It is wildly homophobic. Uh, the one native character it represents, which is also, um, I think that Joe Nolan is the only non-white character who really appears in this movie meaningfully in any way, yeah. which again is not necessary, especially because of the region you're in. It's like there's plenty of diversity to be found in this region. I know that hockey is predominantly a white sport, but it's a movie. You can do whatever the fuck you want. Mm-hmm. But I do think that this movie is i don't know i mean a sports comedy in the 70s having women included at all feels kind of like a miracle to me and having a successful sports movie written by a woman feels kind of like a miracle to me for this era and so i want to miracle another hockey movie yep there's one but that's like the exact kind of corny ass movie i'm talking about where all the (laughs) girls are like you've got this baby and you're just like oh my god like i do think that this movie has incredible faults it's like at the end because because we've talked about so many broad comedies on this show and all of the swings are huge and when they hit they hit and when they're bad they're awful they're almost worse than you can find in any genre right Mm. and i think the same is true in horror or like any like broad niche genre that tends to be true and so this movie is wildly dated i understand why it is not popularly watched i'm not even recommending it really i just was surprised (laughs) by the fact that women were presented in uh for the most part an empathetic way even though i did not agree with how everyone everyone's arc was resolved Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna go two and i'm gonna give one to francine because she rocks and one to lily because she deserved better Mm -hmm. And I hope that she, you know, divorced Ned six months later or oh, whatever. Fingers crossed. Dad, what would you give this movie? Oh. Based on its portrayal of, of, of women intersectionally. Boy, I have to I have to do this. I'm not I'm not trained. I'm not trained. <laughs> whatever feels right in your heart. Yes. I I, I guess two. Mm-hmm. Just because two. Um, <laughs> um Oh, because nipples. <laughs> well, no, just because too. Okay. Um, and, and I have to pick characters too. You can do. Like, you okay. can yeah. distribute them, or you can keep them. Whatever you want to do. I, I mean, I like. I don't know. I just like Francine is a is a great character. You know, I mean, I, I like that part of you know how she's like. You know, I don't care if you. You know, I know you. You know, I know you as a person, and you know, uh, you know, you might be able to fool everybody else. You know, but you can't fool me anymore. And goes around the way, and you know, again, Mrs. Mrs. Hanrahan. I never remember her first. I just think that's a touching kind of a. But that's that's a, you know, that's quite a scene with her, and it's it's serious and funny, and I just really thought that that was a, you know, probably back in the day, it was like, oh, that's a gratuitous thing, you know, like look at this thing, but mm. you know, look looked at now and and her story and everything like that i think that's um you know i don't know what to say i can't say like i think that's great but you know <laughs> it would i mean it's it's one that like sticks with me anyway you know i know what you mean it would be a fine scene yeah. if the thing that happens after it didn't happen <laughs> exactly right yeah. right yeah. that's why it's like this movie is just like frustrating in that way where you're like wow this is representation or like a character you would not normally see in a broad comedy but then they're treated so poorly that you're like well why why did you go out of your way to do that if you were just going to treat them as a plot point and never show them again Mm -hmm. which i think is also inherent to this genre in the ways that i i don't know i found it especially frustrating too because it's like i thought suzanne 
was in, in the one scene she had was presented with empathy and she was cool and it was like oh this is really and and then like we were talking about like she's treated horrifically and we never get to see her again we don't know what happens to her and the movie doesn't really seem to have interest in it because mm-hmm. she was ultimately just a plot point yeah to get uh red to win to the next step yeah so a complicated a, a more complicated movie than i was expecting <laughs> and i'm glad we talked about it yes indeed and thanks for joining us dad mr mike oh hey Thanks for having me along. Happy to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dad, do you have anything you want to plug? Yeah, where can people follow you on Twitter? I I don't have a... There's no need to follow me on Twitter. My my days are done, my days of mouthing off, and (laughs) I just, uh, you know, which I didn't do that much. I was not not the king of the hot takes, and now Mm -hmm. I am the king of the silent take. I'll just just read along with you all. Nice. Well, Well, you know, I could... I could plug this, you know, this this podcast, a certain book about hot dogs, you know. Ooh. There's always something, but yeah. You, you simply know. must. Just Google book about hot dogs. See what that <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, Dad, I really uh, thank you for, for coming on the show. and I really can't believe you let us, let, <laughs> you badgered us into doing this. I'm so glad we did, though. I don't know. I it's my birthday, and <laughs> so I'm a dictator, and I get to do whatever I want. Yeah. Happy and birthday, Jamie. Thank you. This was a way this to go, was... Jam. Happy birthday. I remember it. There, he he remembered it, <laughs> and that's no. Wow. I this this episode was very special to me, both of you. So thank you. I appreciate it, and I'm really glad we got to do it. Yay! Love you, Jamie. Love you too. Way to go. Way to go, team. We wow, did it. Team. We won. We won the championship game. We won. We, won. we, we randomly did a strip tease and somehow we won the game. There, yeah. uh, the best we... podcast in the federal league. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We are kind of, and I say this with love, we are kind of a minor league podcast. And and yet mm-hmm. our fan base is intense and they fill the stands. And we, and we yeah. appreciate that. We really um, do. Because to be a big podcast, you have to talk about murder in a dishonest way and we don't do that we so don't. Okay, don't. or you have to be like a fascist so it's fine <laughs> or you have to be uh know a lot about sports and we don't we, we, we clearly demonstrated that today that we do not know <laughs> yeah if there was any reason then now you, you know. both did you both did great thank you thanks Dad. so much yeah. You can find us on means Twitter. Means a lot, I know. <laughs> yeah, we, we are nothing without the validation of men. It's true. Oh, <laughs> of dads. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, oh, no. I tried so hard. I only, be- I he's, only He's tease. crying. He's crying. <laughs> there, uh, you can find us online at, at Bechtelcast on Instagram and Twitter. You can sign up for Patreon, a.k.a. Matreon, mm. at patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, where you get two bonus episodes every month for mere $5 and also mm-hmm. get access to about 150 episodes of back catalog on the Patreon. Wow, and wow. it's my birthday over there this month too. We really time. value birthdays on this podcast. So <laughs> it's true. We'll be covering little shop of horrors and a second one that on the day of this recording, I've not yet decided my second evil pick for the Patreon, <laughs> but oh, I will think of something and it will be annoying. So mm. head over there. <laughs> that and caitlin when it comes happy birthday to you too thank you so much um it will be in about eight months okay something like that so just keep that in mind 
It's coming. Yes, you know. yes, yes. I don't want to miss out my chance. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. And you can also get our merch at tpublic.com slash thebechtelcast for our glorious items available for purchase at any time. And with that, uh, why don't we get on this uh, local parade float mm. and lie about our wives leaving us? <laughs> Let's do it. Bye. 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 If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Looking for a fabulous fashion brand that celebrates you? Then look no further than Boston Proper, where styles are designed with you in mind, so you can look and feel amazing, no matter the day, season, or occasion. At bostonproper.com, you'll find fashion that knows you best. For over 30 years, Boston Proper has been the fashion destination for confident women who want to elevate their look with unique, sophisticated clothing at affordable prices. Visit bostonproper.com today. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.